Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Thanks for tuning into Americana Music Profiles. The next episode starts right now. You're tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles. Brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. Auckland, New Zealand's Jesse Wilde has a music style that favors the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, Paul Simon, Fleetwood Mac, etc., and has accumulated quite a bit of musical success on his own, including being nominated for Best Producer and Best Engineer at the 2019 New Zealand Vodafone Music Awards. His personal encounters with John Cougar and Bob Seger fascinating. Jesse joins me on this edition of Americana Music Profiles to talk about his career and his unique journey to the United States to meet those two musical heroes. Hi Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here. How you doing? Good. Thanks for joining us all the way in Auckland, right? Auckland, New Zealand. Yeah. 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 We are, we are talking at the end of June. How are things there for you guys? It's actually starting to get a little bit cold, but it's not cold considering where you guys are from, but it's, it's cold for New Zealand anyway. Yeah, I guess you guys are sort of on the uh, kind of the the edge of your fall or winter, right? Yeah, it's coming right in. Yeah, it's, just, it's, it's the start of our winter. Really. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I always find that uh, interesting, that perspective that we we are exactly opposite in our climates uh, at, the, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, we're also a day ahead of you, so it's 9 o'clock in the morning, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to be, able to, uh, to be able to do this. Uh, you know, I'm in summer, you're in winter, we're an hour apart or a day apart, and we can still sit here and have this yeah. conversation real time. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I'm in your future. Thursday morning. Yeah, right. I, somebody else told me that a couple months ago. I thought yeah, that was. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that statement. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So tell me a little bit about how you got started in your musical career. How did all of this begin for you? Mate, I've been doing this 
uh, well, I guess if you go right back to the beginning, I was 11 years old and I was um, watching a rerun of the, I think it was the 67 Elvis comeback special. Yeah, okay. On TV. And I talked to my mom and I said, yeah, I want a guitar. You know, I want to learn how to play guitar. And um, that's where it all started for me. 11 years old, had uh, had about a year's worth of lessons from a guy who lived down the road. And he ended up telling me after a year that he'd taught me everything he knew. And he put me onto his guitar teacher, who was this old, long-haired guy who grew up in London in the 60s. And um, that's when it really started for me. He started teaching me all these songs and started encouraging me to sing. And... Um, started encouraging me to write songs and from about the age of 17 I was playing professionally I was three years underage back then the drinking age in New Zealand is now 18 but back then it was 20 okay and uh, so I used to start I used to start setting up underage at, at these bars and jumping up on stage and, and bands would let me get up and sing I always had a pretty good voice and before you knew it I had my own band and I was making a living out of it <laughs> That's cool. What That's was your inspiration musically growing up? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I guess it's interesting that Elvis, like so many people, and in, in, yeah, inspired the Beatles and everything. But really, that was just just seeing him doing it with an acoustic guitar. And uh, but really, my my major musical influences. I grew up in a um, sort of working class family, and uh, my dad was a builder, uh, a carpenter, mm-hmm. and uh, but he used to, in his spare time, he used to build boats. And, oh, uh, cool! He used to, you know, from scratch, and we would have these sailor sailboats, and we'd go sailing. And uh, my dad had an incredible vinyl collection, um, and it was like Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, Rolling Stones. My mum was a huge Beatles fan, Elvis, and I grew up listening. And my dad was a big Bob Seger fan, and I guess that really where it started for me listening to Bob Seger's song mm-hmm. and uh, I just loved the songwriting you know like albums like Against the Wind and Night Moves and, yeah. and, and, and that kind of changed my life and made me want to be a songwriter and and then years later I I was getting into I went I went through a punk stage you know I listened to a lot of Sex Pistols and things like that and 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 then I went through a sort of a heavy metal stage and then someone gave me an ACDC cassette <laughs> uh, one of my neighbors and, and he said oh, don't worry about the stuff on the other side it's just something my brother listened to and on the other side of that cassette was a John Mellencamp album oh, wow. and that changed my life as well I mean, I, and I became a huge John Mellencamp fan after that and um, then a few years later I first heard Steve Earle Copperhead Road and um, so that my three main influences would be Bob Seger John Mellencamp Steve Earle and fortunately, I met all three now. So that was a goal of my life to meet all three of those guys, and I did. So. How how did that happen for you? I read where you've had the opportunity to to visit the states and and play some yeah. here, but to have those three guys, um, three artists, uh, be in your path, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, um, it's a long story, but I'll try to cut it short. So when I was about, after playing for about four or five years in a band in New Zealand, um, I was probably about 22, um, I decided to go on a bit of a, what we call an OE, an overseas experience, 
the okay. last Kiwis will go go over to England and Europe and and um, I got to England and it was just all pubs and I just spent the last five years playing in pubs. We did a lot of festivals as well, but mainly it was bars and pubs. And, and um, so I didn't really like England that much. I didn't like the weather and stuff. And I, but funny, I had this dream of always going to the hometowns of my three biggest influences, and and hopefully getting a chance to meet them. And um, as I was telling the story to a guy, I was staying in the flat in London. He handed me a book called Coast to Coast, and it was written by Andy Bull or something like that. And he was a journalist in in London. And he'd written this book about traveling around America, going to the hometowns for all these rock stars. And he'd never met a single one of them, although he tried. <laughs> yeah. But it was a really, it was a really good book. And then I ended up, like, I found out, I just, back then it was before, we didn't have Google or anything like that. This mm-hmm. was in 94. This was in 1994. So I just, somehow I found that he was an editor of one of the newspapers in London. So I just rang up the newspaper and I got a hold of him and I went out and he said, we went out for lunch together wow. as an author, and I told him about my story, and I told him what I was going, what I wanted to do. I just booked three tickets from London. I booked one for uh, uh, San Antonio. Or the first one was um, uh, Detroit, Michigan. That's where Bob Seger was from. He's from Dearborn, mm-hmm. and then I booked one for um, Bloomington, Indiana. I knew that's where, um, and I booked another ticket to um, San Antonio, Texas. That's where Steve Earle grew up. So I had these three flights, and I flew into, um, I remember it was 1994, because the World Cup soccer was on, mm. and um, I happened to be on a plane with the Irish uh, soccer team, and they, we drank the plane dry of whiskey. <laughs> it, was, it was a really, they were going crazy. So I ended up in Dearborn, Michigan, not knowing, and asking around, um, where does Bob Seger live, and absolutely no one knows where he lives. So I ended up going to the Henry Ford Museum, I think it was the museum, and um, there was some back then. It was some newspaper articles on microfilm, and I found the newspaper article about where uh, it only happened a few days before, where um, Bob Digger had gotten into sort of a verbal bar fight with one of the car workers, and he was saying, "Why have you never helped us out?" And it was this bar in uh, the Avenue Diner, and I and I drove out to the Avenue Diner. I think it's the only lead I had. <laughs> <laughs> Bob's obviously been there before. Sat down at the bar, and having my Kiwi accent. Um, some guy just come out. It was like a country club kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they valet parked my car. Now, I was a bit underdressed, long-haired guy, and the and I ordered a beer. And the guy right next to me had just come off playing golf, and, and he noticed my accent. He said, "What are you doing in here? And are you here for the World Cup soccer?" And I said, "No, I'm here to meet Bob Seger." And he goes, "Do you know?" I said, "Not yet." And he said, you wouldn't believe this, but I heard he just moved in a house across the lake from me. And then I said, well, do you have his address? And he said, no, but he had the name of the subdivision. <laughs> and I found it. Back then, we didn't have Google Maps. Right. I found it. I had a, I had a map. I'm not I'm not going to say the name because he's obviously uh, value his privacy. <laughs> um, but I found the name of the subdivision. I found the name the road with the same name, and I drove out there. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I just had the psychic sense of this town. And this sounds like a stalker, but I didn't bang on his door at, at 10 o'clock at night. I decided to... Um, just, uh, I ended up sleeping in the... I had this big old car that I was driving around and I slept in the back of it up by the lake. And then in the morning, about 10 a.m., after I'd gone for a swim in the lake and freshened up, I just went... Knocked on this door. There's no fences. Uh, 
And um, it was the wrong house, by the way. Um, <laughs> I packed two houses up because I didn't want to you know, pack right outside Bob Seger's house. Right, right. And then this old lady this old lady answered the door, and I said, it's Bob Seger. And she said, oh, no, he lives two houses up. So I had packed directly outside of his house. And so I walked up to the to um, his place, and um, it was like a little intercom, and I rang the intercom, and his wife answered. And I said, it's Bob Seger here. And she said, who are you? And I said, I'm a musician from Auckland, New Zealand, and I had my first CD out. So I showed her a picture of the CDs over there. And um, she goes, oh, Bob doesn't live here, but if you leave it on the doorstep, I'll see if I can get it to him. That's fine. I'm just going to go up to my car and write a little note to Bob. And uh, she said that was fine. So I went up and I was just I had the door of my car open and I was writing a little note on the CD cover and from around the back of the house, Bob Seeker came up. Was wearing a, I remember he was wearing a white, like a basketball singlet and a, a blue short. It was really hot and sunny then. Mm-hmm. And um, in Michigan, it gets very hot. Yeah. And he came up, he was smoking a cigarette, and I think the first thing he said to me is, who the F and hell are you? <laughs> uh, and I, I explained who I was, and he said, how the hell did you find this place? <laughs> I told him the story about meeting this guy in the Avenue Diner. And, um, he goes, man, he goes, this is not how it's done. And, and I said, hey, I didn't come all this way to piss you off. And then I could see he was a little upset, and he did. And, and then he, uh, and I was about, to, I was about to leave, and he sort of poked his head in the window of my car, and he goes, "Where did you say you're from?" And I said, "Again, I said, Auckland, New Zealand." And he said, "Well, get your car off my lawn and put it in the driveway, and then we'll talk." <laughs> so then he calmed down. We went around the back of his place, and I had my, I had my guitar because I never used to like leaving it in the car. Right. It was really hot, and so we put it in the shade, and we sat up beside the lake, and ended up having a coffee and a couple of beers, and. Smoked a few cigarettes, and I got to play a few songs on the guitar, and we had a really nice chat out. It was great. That's cool. I love that story. Uh, that, that's uh, how I got to meet Bob Seger. Did you keep in touch at all? Was and, and there he didn't any say t- one thing to me. I was writing it. Well, I ended up meeting his, his manager, Punch Andrews, after that. Uh-huh. But not really, no. I didn't have a phone number, and he wouldn't take a photograph. He, uh, and, but he... I did meet his uh, manager, Punt Andrews, after that, and that was just, I just looked him up, and uh, he did say one thing, please don't publish my address, because he'd just moved house, he'd had problems with the store for a few months before, oh, yeah, okay. and I was, I, I wrote a journal of my travel, I still haven't published it, one day I'll publish it, yeah. <laughs> but no, I didn't really keep in touch, but I did get the chance to play him Night Moves, which is my favourite song, and I told him the story how I lost my innocence, but on Christmas Eve, and as I was driving home, that song came on the radio. Like, uh, it changed my life. I was like, it's like Bob Seger was there. Wow. He liked that story, and I said, um, it made me want to be a song. Wow. That's cool. That, that's such a cool story. So he did give me some advice. His advice was a true story, and um, uh, it, he gave me some advice. His advice was, don't do the, don't do the, don't knock on Steve Earl's door, he'll shoot you. And, um, and then, and he said something about you'll never get, you'll never be able to knock on on John Mellencamp's door, and I found out why a few months later. Wow! So, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I um, uh, those are those are golden moments, and uh, that that's cool. I I love that. That's part of your journey. 
Well, it's interesting because he, he did ask me and he said, you know, what, what would make you come all the way here? And I said, like, almost all, every musician I know has had the desire to make different. And it's not like, you know, I don't speak to rock stars or anything like that. They're, they're incredible musical influences. So, and, and they always say, don't meet your heroes. They'll disappoint you. But mm-hmm. to be honest, all, none of those guys disappointed me. And it was just great to meet them. And he understood in the end, you know, it's kind of good for the soul to meet when you listen to so much music and it influences your music so much, I it, said it's like a, you know, a child not knowing his father. It's like an orphan, you know? mm-hmm. and it's like hmm. it was like they were they were like the three fathers of my music. Hmm. We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the interview. But, Sounds like there's yeah. a song oh. wrapped up in that story somewhere. If you haven't written it yet, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't written that. Yeah. The, the only one out of the three I got a photo with was that I actually, on my website, um, jessiewild.com, you'll see a photo of me and John Mellencamp. And I've got wet hair in that photo, too, because I've just been for a swim in the lake in Indiana with this girl I'd met. And that's a whole other story. Um, I met him at his rehearsal studio in Belmont Mall in Indiana. And uh, he's uh, he was... Um, every, the difference between John Mellencamp and Bob Seger, if you, you go into Bloomington, Indiana, everyone you talk to will draw your map to John Powell. Everyone knows where he mm, lives. Okay. <laughs> when, when, when I was in Devil, Michigan, they were like, I think he lives in L.A. I don't know. I don't think he still lives here anymore. And um, But uh, you get to his house, and it's like it's an old army base. It's like fortified. Mm. It's got, and it's got this um, sort of intercom on a pole. There's this big road going to his house. If you're not invited, do not press this button. So you can't get anywhere near him because he's got the fortified walls all around his house. It's mm. a huge complex. Mm. And um, I I got to his house and I drove about about four minutes down the road from his house, five minutes down. It's a, it's a bar it's a, it's a junction. It's a little, it's a bar. And I uh, went in there with my guitar and it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And I, I always take my guitar. I said before, take my car out of the guitar out of the car because it gets cooked in the car and stick in that heat. And um, there were two guys sitting at the bar and the bar lady. I remember this very clearly. Bo and he were the two guys sitting at the bar and the two Harleys out the front. And Lorraine was the, uh, the bar lady. And before you know it, I ordered a beer. And because of the accent, they're like, you're not from around here. What are you doing here? And I said, I'm here to meet John Mellencamp. People live in this whole town and for years and never get to meet John. <laughs> and then I and they asked me to play some guitar and I played some John Mellencamp songs just sitting in the bar. It's like, there's only three of us in the bar. And and, and uh, they liked it. And uh, one, he uh, invited me to his house to play the nine ball. And I didn't know these guys from a bar. So, but, uh, and so I, when they were in the bathroom, I talked to the bar lady and she seemed like a nice lady, sort of a motherly type. And I said, are these guys going to kill me? And she said, no, you can trust these guys. That's all. So I ended up leaving my guitar behind the bar and jumping on the back of the Harley, oh, going man. up to T's house, and we ended up listening to records and, and playing nine ball and drinking beer, and I crashed the night on the sofa. And next morning they dropped me off. I was back at the bar because I needed to get my car again. And when I walked in, Lorraine said to me, "Did they mention who they were?" And I said, "Oh." <laughs> she said, "Ah, okay. Well, uh, Bo was John Mellencamp's best man at." I think he's been married a few times, so he's been his best man more than once at his wedding. Mm-hmm. And T worked, and T happened to work for John. 
Wow. So that just happened to be like, that's the, basically the first three people I met in Indiana. <laughs> then about, I didn't, and I was like, damn, I missed my chance of getting to meet John. And then about two weeks later, I ended up meeting another bartender there and I got some gigs at the bar. And I, I but one of the bartenders, Sonny, had a place to stay. And he said, why don't you come and stay with me for a bit? And um, then Bo ended up coming back into the bar and saying, look, I've talked to John, I've told him about you, and just not meet people. And, but he said his band was rehearsing for two weeks. So, um, And if I wanted to stop in the rehearsal studio, I could maybe get to meet the band. So that's how that all happened. And I got some really good photos on my website of me and the whole band. Um, I went in there on like a... I think it was like a Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. That's when the rehearsal started. And I um, I remember walking in there and there was a songbook sitting on the coffee table. And they knew I was coming because Bo had, had said no. And um, I think it was Mike Wontrick. So the whole band was Kenny Arnold, drummer who's had for years. Um, this is 94. Kenny doesn't play. He's played, I think Kenny now plays with um, John Fogg. And Michael Wontrick was there. I got a new guitarist named Andy York. And Toby Myers, the bass player, yeah. And they were all there. And um, there was a songbook sitting on the coffee table. And uh, I think Michael Wonchick said, do you know any John Mellencamp songs? And I said, I know anything out of that book. Uh, <laughs> I had that book like, for my 16th birthday. <laughs> and, and I was like, what's it doing there? And Mike said, I just well, he said, I went and bought it from the store yesterday because we forget the song. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he'd gone and bought this big, like it was the John Cougar Mellencamp complete songbook wow, and um, so we ended up grabbing his guitar I got a photo of playing his guitar I got to play a few songs for the band it was pretty cool yeah. sat in on his microphone on his guitar and wow. did that for uh, for a few hours ended up drinking um, quite a few they were drinking diet the caffeinated pep. I never even knew that existed <laughs> and, uh, I think uh, I had a six pack of beer in the car myself but wow that's awesome so so and then a yeah, well, I mean, you've you've had this just very colorful career, and you've been able to record several albums, and uh, you know we're we're now hopefully on the way out uh, of the pandemic. I, I know that um, some of the different uh, countries outside of the U.S. are still struggling to kind of get their footing, but I think you told me earlier you've got a new record on the way, um, mm. and and hopefully tour maybe coming soon with with that tell me yeah, well, about the i've new been record. doing a lot of gigs yeah so because we we came out of lockdown quite a while ago i mean i lost i lost a lot of gigs after lockdown but i think new new zealanders are just celebrating the fact that we can go out and enjoy live music and yeah so um i've been with my la- i had my last band i i released an album with my last band called wild taylor and um i think you had ed taylor on, on your show and uh, he, he started a new project, and, and I've just gone, um, I've got a new project now called Wild Story, and we just play, as we call it, the Wild Story Band. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook, but I also have another band, which I call the Jesse Wild Band. And, um, yeah, well, we do these mini tours, that we call them. So we'll go out and play Thursday, Friday, Saturday in a different town, yeah. um, all over New Zealand. And um, we did that for the last record, and we sold quite a few, and, Spotify starting to grow and all of that. Um, but yeah, I, the new album I'm going to call Head in South because uh, one of the songs on it is called, it's, I don't know, 
a different. Uh, so there's mainly new songs, but I've done one. I'm actually going to do. I'm just finishing off the last one. Um, I, I've done a, a another version of a song I wrote called Honey, and one of the lyrics is, uh, has it talks about heading down, um, like going to hell, basically. But uh, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of this new record. It's, it's got some really great songs on it, great Americana style songs. There's some kind of rocky ones, and there's some really acoustic-y ones. So mm-hmm. a, a little bit more along the vein of the Wild Taylor stuff. First album was called Blame It On Me, which has done really, really well. We've sold thousands of copies up and down the country. Uh, physical copies on CD and vinyl. I'm a, I'm a avid, uh, I love vinyl, and I actually am, have the only operational vinyl lathe in Zealand, so I hand lathe all the records for the wow. Wild Taylor album in my, in my recording studio. Yeah, that's awesome. And, hey. uh, yeah. So the, this new one is supposed to be out when? When when do you anticipate that being available? Well, it's probably going to be out in about a month or so. Um, I'm going to sort of, and I'm going to kind of, well, release it. Um, to, it wasn't that long ago we released the last Wild Taylor album. Maybe it was 2018. It doesn't feel like that long ago. Right. Yeah. COVID and everything. Right, sure. So if, if you go if you go on to Spotify and you search up Jesse Wild with an E and there's no I in the Jesse, you'll you'll find all my stuff. I'm on YouTube and all the other platforms like Apple Music or whatever. You'll see all, all my albums there. But yeah, I'm gonna probably release the single at a time because that's how people seem to do it these right. days. Yeah, that's the probably, new thing. Yeah, my absolute favorite song on the album is a song I wrote for Bully the Rambler, which I wrote after I I was driving down Route 66. Uh, several years ago mm-hmm. and I stopped in the little town I think it's the town where Bully the Kid died it's Santa Rosa New Mexico mm-hmm. and, and they've got his gravestone there and I had this dream and I wrote the song for Bully the Rambler about how maybe me and Bully could have been friends back in the, in the day <laughs> that's cool and uh, it, it, it's a really good song yeah. so um, but uh, as I say I think my favorite song for my last record is a song called uh I ain't gonna let you let me go. It's, it's a song I wrote. It's on the Wild Taylor album, um, and uh, it's a song I wrote about the mother of my child when mm-hmm. separated, and uh, she, she decided we were over, and um, I decided we weren't. Mm-hmm. Before, before um, we had a daughter. Mm-hmm. So that's probably my favorite song. I ain't gonna let let you let me go. This is a lot of good songs. And just recently, I've been lucky enough that I had a song placed on a TV show with um, my publisher. I have a publisher here called Songbroker. And um, they, out of all my catalog of hundreds of songs that I've written, the one song I, I wrote for my uh, my grandfather's 90th birthday, I wrote it on the morning of his birthday. Um, I always leave things to the last minute. And they wanted me to perform something at his birthday. And so I, I thought, I'm not just going to perform my cousin song, and I, I'll, I'll write a song about him. And my cousin had written a poem, and it was very factual. It was, and but it just didn't have, to me, it didn't have enough heart and soul. I loved my granddad. He was like my dad. Years when I was fighting with my dad, although I get on well with my dad. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just sat down. About ten minutes, the song came out, and I jumped in. I this is my first studio. I, I've owned two studios over the years. Got a really nice one now in the center of Auckland. Called uh, Studio Thirty Eight, Wild Records, and um, I just 
put my harmonica brace on and I jumped in there and I played guitar and sang this song live and played some harmonica, recorded it, made about 30-odd CDs because I can do all of that in my studio and I just handed them out and I performed the song at uh, at my grandfather's 90th and, and a few, it only just debuted a few months, about a month or so ago. I found out that my um, that song was chosen for a TV show called The Broken Wood Mystery, which is a New Zealand TV show. Hmm. But it actually debuted in America. Wow. I'm on season, I'm on season seven, episode two, hmm. and uh, the whole context of that, he's driving down the road and he puts this, the main character puts it's like a murder mystery thing. It's it's got a huge following. It's actually really big in America. It's not, it's not broken wood mysteries. It's big in Europe. Yeah, and it's quite big in New Zealand. And um, sometimes they play like seven seconds of your song. Um, but that song that I wrote about three minutes 15 and i think they play three minutes 10 of the song in the episode <laughs> that's cool they're like an hour and a half these episodes yeah they're quite big yeah that's awesome. and uh, and the whole context is he puts this cassette he's driving down the road listening to me on a cassette and then one of the um cops from the cop station is leaving the policeman and he hands him a walkman like an old cassette walkman and the guy's like yeah this is handy like i have a lot of cassettes and then he pulls the cassette out of the pocket and he goes and it's, I think it's Mike or something. It's like Mike's favorite country song. And he hands him the cassette. And apparently I'm on that. And, and the song I wrote for Blood is Love. Hmm. Which I wrote about my granddad. Yeah. And uh, my uh, mom was really, really proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So it debuted in New Zealand about, well, about 10 days ago on the 20th of, uh, it premiered on TV1, our biggest TV station. And um, on the 20th of June, which because there's a line in that song which goes, blood is love and it's thicker than water, and I was reminded of that the first time I held my daughter. Hmm. And um, so it just happened to debut on, on my daughter's birthday, which is pretty wow. cool, the 20th of, of June. That's awesome. And, uh, we had a big dinner at my mum's house, and all the family were there watching, watching me on, on the big screen. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I, I appreciate your stories, Jesse. They're awesome, and I I, I wish that uh, every musician, I, I hope they do, has cool stories like that. And I know it's helped shape shape you and your career. We certainly wish you well with um, with the new record on the way out and your touring. And um, once again, the website is Jesse Wild with an E dot com, and uh, yep. um, we hope that uh, the rest of your music does as well as that last song. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you, mate. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money... Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom and dad. My mom and my dad. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. 
In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.